You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So, stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery! Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Ho, 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 ho. You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So, stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the ho, 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 Ohio Lottery. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Hey, how's it going, everyone? On today's episode of Hoop Dreams, we have a co-host joining me. His name is Steve Lewis. You might remember him from episode two. I had him on uh, in on a guest. We were friends for a very long time, so wanted to bring him in to officially be a co-host of the podcast. Um, he brings another dynamic. Um, has some great opinions. Um, it's really going to help out the show, and I think it's going to be better for you guys, the listeners out there. On today's episode, we are breaking down the Last Dance documentary, episodes one and two, um, the Michael Jordan documentary that everybody was looking forward to, um, that they released early, um, which is awesome for everybody, no sports going on and whatnot, it really gives us all something to talk over and something to connect, and, and we all, all can uh, enjoy this documentary, so uh, sit back, uh, enjoy, and stay tuned for this great episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode eight of Hoop Dreams. Uh, this is the Last Dance recap episode. Um, very excited about this episode, and even more excited because I now officially have a uh, co-host uh, for the show. You guys might remember him from episode two. Got a lot of great feedback on that episode about our chemistry and whatnot. So I uh, wanted to bring him on, and he is going to officially be the uh, co-host going forward. He is. Steve Lewis. Uh, I'm going to let him come on and, and introduce himself as well. What's going on, Steve? What's going on, Mark? How are you tonight? Doing very good, man. I'm, I'm very excited to get this recap episode going for The Last Dance. You know, from be- us being friends for so long, man, you know how much Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls meant to me growing up. I have to ask you a serious question first before I get into my little soliloquy. Yeah. Who is your favorite Jordan? Bulls Jordan or Wizards Jordan? <laughs> is that a serious question? Well, I mean, I like them the same. Okay. On our come up, I mean, I only saw you in a Wizards jersey. Um, I did about eighty five percent of the time. So, you yeah. know, I didn't know if you knew that he played for the Chicago Bulls prior to playing for the Wizards. So, oh, of course I did. I didn't know if this last dance was a big revelation for you. It is. I remember exactly where I was when Michael Jordan hit the shot to beat the Jazz in ninety eight. Oh yeah. Where so, were you? I was in Florida. It's when I lived in Florida at the time. And I was actually at my aunt's house. We we lived in the same neighborhood, like a street over. And I was actually at their house watching the game. So I remember exactly where I was. I was a big Bulls fan. He retired that year after. And I actually had the uh, recording on old VHS recorded his retirement speech. Oh. Wow. 
So, I mean, don't question my Michael Jordan fanhood. All right? Listen, man, I wasn't questioning. I was just asking a real question that I figured a lot of people, you know, might want to know. Although Wizards Michael was still dropping 23 a game and making the All-Star game. His ankles were swollen. All oh, they were bad. Every time I went to the bench, man, you had ice packs all day. His ice packs, <laughs> both both legs from his foot to his, his top half, his knees were, were just wrapped in ice bags. <laughs> Well, I definitely appreciate you bringing me on. I'm definitely excited about the opportunity. Um, I think you have a great product here. Um, when you brought me on, I kind of was thinking about like what the title of your podcast was, Hoop Dreams. And I kind of was like thinking about it in stages of my life in the basketball perspective of it. So on the come up, and I want to first get into it because like anybody that listens to the show is going to be like, this kid's a five nine white kid like what kind of credentials is he gonna bring to a basketball show <laughs> why am i gonna listen to him and give him any time of day and and you know i mean i think it's a it's a building prospect so you you come up and just like what you're doing with your child right now is you want to make young harry believe that he can be the best basketball player in the world because i know when i was six seven years old i was drawing myself on everything with a number thinking that i was going to be the next great thing obviously you don't know what the future is going to hold you don't know how your genetics are going to be and it is what it is so that's how you start right the stars and then you start to grow into yourself and then you start to meet your friends and then all of a sudden basketball becomes more of a team thing and now we start growing into shape and then size comes into to, to play and then you realize well to play this great game you probably need to be i don't know at least six feet tall <laughs> we aren't blessed with that so oh no it, not even close so you'll know this from to be able to be successful in this game you need to start using your brain a little bit you know so to be able to operate on the court you need to be able to do different things you need to be able to work with other positions to be able to make the game work. So I think as your life goes on, you realize, well, I'm not going to be a star basketball player. So where do my other interests lie? Well, we both enjoy watching the game definitely. And I think what you did after playing uh, high school basketball was you went into coaching immediately, right? So that's where your ideas wanted to go. Now, I started thinking about my accolades as I was growing up, you know, and from a athletic standpoint, the most points I think I ever scored in a game was, I believe it was 32 points. Um, it just so happened to be against you. Me, um, yep. 29 points in the second half in a quarterfinal playoff game at the age of 13. That was my tough, peak. Tough loss for you guys. But, you know, I still, you know, <laughs> I still put it on you, you know. You did. You did. You gave, us that, you gave it to us that night. <laughs> and then I thought about, you know, my, my next – ascent into the basketball you know what I thought was going to be and that was coaching and it was taking over a at the time a bad news bears kind of basketball team the jazz which was also coached by you and I ended up you know and I ended up turning a team that you coached very poorly into a champion so (laughs) you did so that was my peak there right and now as a 32 year old man in the last 10 years after that, I think that my ideas of the game has drawn more to the gambling side of it, right? So not only are we fans, but we see the game in so many different ways, because if we're going to put our money where our, our mouth is, we better know what we're doing. So I think that's where 
my basketball hoop dreams have lied, right? So NBA stardom to maybe thinking I'm going to be a coach to now hoping that I can make a quick buck. So that's kind of where I am. And, you know, I just kind of love the game. So I think for the fans perspective, they need to be able to be able to listen to me and take me seriously. So I hope to get out of the show. Not only, I not only hope to have good back and forth with you because, you know, if people can see our back and forth with between our, uh, our text threads, we definitely like the same things, but we don't agree on the same things. And oh yeah, I, think, I agree with that for sure. And I think that's where we're going to work, right? Like we're both Celtics fans, but we both have different ideas of where the Celtics are going. And I think that's where we go. And then we can expand on that as a full horizon of the whole NBA. Um, so I think that works. So I'm excited to get into it, Mark, really. Um, obviously, it's a lot of downtime right now. And I mean, there's not a lot to go on. I know that you want to jump into the the MJ doc, you know, obviously, hopefully down the line, we'll get to see some real basketball. But, you know, I'm definitely excited to to jump into it. I'm definitely excited to, you know, bring up some old stories, definitely excited to get into some banter with you. And uh, I hope the uh, the audience will like a fresher ex- uh, perspective um, that I hope that I can bring to the show. And I hope that they can at least give me a chance to, you know, take me seriously. Yeah, for sure. And I, I appreciate you saying that because um, that's exactly, I mean, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I said on episode one. You know, I, I kind of gave a little bit of, of why I started this podcast. Um, and it was because this is what eventually ended up becoming my hoop dream. Um, same thing as you growing up and, and playing rec basketball and and watching, you know, MJ and all these basketball players. And then that's who you dream of being one day. And then, like you said, genetics take over and you realize you're not going to be six, 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 seven, and you can't, you know, jump high. You can't, you know, dunk these things and you don't have that elite athleticism. Um, and you go on and, and for myself, you know, I played you know high school basketball and uh, had a pretty good, you know, solid career. It wasn't anything special, but played pretty good. Um, and then went right into coaching because that's, you know, where it led to after, and then same thing as you for the last 10 years, just still been playing the game, um, still have that love for the game um, and love talking about it. And we've always talked about it between me, you and all of our other friends. And and for me, it's like, let's just put that out there um, and put that on radio. And let's talk about it for everybody because we have great opinions, I believe. Um, and especially when we talk, like you said, we go back and forth and everything like that. We agree on something, some things we don't. We're not scared to let the other person know that, hey, that's a fucking dumb, dumb, dumb take. I hate that. Or, you know what I mean? We go right, right back at each other. So it's awesome. Um, and that's what led, you know, to this podcast. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, but like you said, I do want to get into this, uh, Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, the, the 97, 98 Bulls. Um, it's came out at perfect timing. As you know, it was supposed to come out in June. Um, it was actually supposed to come out around the NBA finals and it was supposed to be released every other night. Um, to coincide with the games, um, which would have been crazy. That would have been awesome. What a time for basketball that would have been. But since everything that's going on with the quarantine and everything like that, they decided to drop it early. So now they're doing two episodes a week for five weeks on Sunday nights. Um, and it just felt like for one night, sports were back on Sunday. You know, I know you were watching it and I was watching it. And it just felt for one night, like I was all over Twitter. I was live tweeting it and people were tweeting back at me. It just felt like the whole world was just connected again, the sports world. Anyways, was connected again. It was great to see that for once, uh, especially in this tough time. Well, yeah, I mean, first off, I mean, like you said, it would have been perfect. I, I think the the idea of 
when they finally decided that they wanted to actually do this, our MJ greenlit this was right after LeBron won his championship in Cleveland. And I think the idea was that MJ wanted to make sure that, or this is what was speculated that they, he wanted to put this footage out eventually when people finally thought that people were starting to turn the corner on LeBron, maybe approaching him in his great greatness. And I think now with nothing going on and all eyes on this documentary, I think that the generation of definitely above us know, I think we know, but I think there's a lot of people and you saw it on the Twitter thread where being like, wow, this guy literally hit his head on the backboard <laughs> as he was growing <laughs> up. Like yep. it was like the real deal. Um, it was great stuff. And I did like the idea of what, what you were saying was that they were going to go, one night on with a game and then they were going to come back with the with the doc for the night because if LeBron was in the finals which probably would have happened oh and yeah Mike and sure. Michael was overshadowing him with the docs on the opposite sides <laughs> during that like that would have been the ultimate head game going on because that would have Michael would have Michael would have absolutely loved that and that's don't exactly tell me that what he would have wanted oh that's exactly what he wanted it, that's that's exactly what he wanted so it would have been perfect then, but it's definitely something that I think everybody needed because I had buzzed like it was the Super Bowl. Like that's how much this documentary felt like. And you saw it like everywhere where people were like looking forward to it once once when they finally said they were gonna drop it earlier and then the weeks prior to it, the build up being like with obviously nothing else going on, being like, Oh my god, this Michael George drop doc is gonna start dropping. Yeah. The best part about it, like I think was like you had said, like, so uh, they had a meeting with him uh, to uh, go over the pitch uh, to do this documentary because NBA came in and they filmed that season and they were allowed access. But the one condition was that you couldn't release it to anybody without Michael's consent. So for years, they've been trying to, to get this. There's been um, Spike Lee's been trying to do a documentary on it. Even like guys like Danny DeVito, uh, I've heard some crazy names, but they've been trying to pitch to Michael, like, hey, let's do this documentary. And finally, they go to him. And uh, the same guy who did like the Allen Iverson, I forgot his name, but the same guy who did like the Allen Iverson story and uh, they showed it up uh, at the pitch and, and Michael was like, hey, you're the guy who did the Allen Iverson thing. He's like, yeah. And Michael's like, that thing made me cry like three times. And it just so happened to be when the Cavaliers won the 26, uh, 2016, I believe, championship uh, when they came back and LeBron had a hell of a series and they came back down 3-1. And then now people are starting to say, hey. LeBron might be, you know, the best player, and, and a lot of guys are thinking of that. And that's that's Michael's competitive edge taking over again. Like, all right, let's take a step back. I'm going to approve this documentary. You guys are going to show this footage, and that's going to remind everybody why I am the greatest of all time. I think that was a huge part of it. Like, I think if the Cavs hadn't won that and LeBron wasn't getting the steam, I mean, who knows? It might have been a little bit longer before we saw this documentary. Well, it was produced by Mike Tallon. Um and he did a great job on the Iverson doc. I mean, I actually went out of my way once I did read the articles prior to the doc dropping um, when he did. Because I had personally had only seen the one that ESPN had dropped, um, which was the one where they talked more about Iverson when he got in trouble with the uh, the bowling alley brawl. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. never I never actually went into the actual other one. I actually didn't even know it existed. Um, but if it moved Michael to tears and he watched it three times, I figured it was worth a watch. Um as far as the doc itself, I mean, it, it definitely for the first two episodes definitely lived up to the hype. It was, uh, 
I didn't think that they were going to dig up a dead person and start kicking a dead person the way they did with uh, Mr. Krause. But that can't person, even defend himself. The guy can't even defend himself. I mean, I don't he think anybody not. was more hated than uh, Jerry Krause over the last few days. Uh, and I don't think that's a name that's been talked about for decades. I mean, rightfully so, though. Like, you saw the document. The guy, the dude's a snake. Like, he was having meetings with Tim Floyd, who ended up becoming the Bulls coach after the lockout season in 99. And he had a meeting with him, and he invited the whole team and Tim Floyd to his daughter's wedding and didn't invite Phil Jackson. So you're doing that behind your back. And then after the Bulls won 72 games uh, in the 96 season when they played the Sonics in the finals when they were in Seattle, they had a closed-door secret meeting there as well. So your team just won 72 games, and you're about to win at that time. You're about to win your fourth title. And you're thinking about getting rid of Phil Jackson? Like, the guy was – he was just jealous. Uh, All the players and Phil were getting all the credit. He wasn't getting any credit. Uh, And uh, he kind of had that little man syndrome. I mean, you saw him. Um, He was just getting really, really upset. Um, And and like you said, I think we talked about this earlier, I don't think there's any coincidence that the bad guy in Space Jam looks just like Jerry Krause. I mean, that was the memes that people have been making uh, with him, which was very funny. And obviously, it kind of does really look like him. And a little backstory on Jerry Krause, like he was a general manager of the Bulls for since 1985, I believe. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. I'm a, a year late on that. Yeah. But he definitely built up the team correctly. I mean, he definitely deserves credit for building something very well but when it comes down to it that was what the issue was like he just was a small guy living in some big shadows and he was never going to get more credit than michael jordan he was never going to get more credit than phil jackson i mean he was never even going to get more credit than scotty pippen like there was just no like these guys were going to always walk over him and i think it just got to a point like where it just was borderline humiliating for him and personally i don't really understand it because i mean I don't think I've ever seen a general manager feel that he needs to be the center of attention. And you know, the fans felt it because when you saw the, the ring presentation for the, the 97 season, everyone booed him. So clearly, you know, everybody knew what he was about and what they were doing. And, and clearly it was just unfortunate. And I mean, as this story unfolds, like we're going to go a lot deeper into it to see like how bad this really got. But I mean, we're talking what, 22 years ago. I don't think I had any idea that the, the inner workings of the Chicago bulls were in shambles at the very, very end, the way they, they are showing it to us today. No, I didn't know it was that bad either. Um, like I knew obviously they had internal issues and that's why it all broke up, but to see the extent to what it was, um, was eye opening for me. And he was even told um, Jerry Krause was also, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, who owned the team, um, also owned the Chicago White Sox. And Krause was a baseball scout for the White Sox, um, who wanted to be a GM of a basketball team. And everybody uh, in the organization told Reinsdorf to stay away from Krause. You don't want this guy. Um, he's terrible with you know relationships and people like that. And they still went ahead and hired him. Um, so even more not to, he still goes ahead and hi- hires him. And you were right, man. The guy built up a team. He didn't draft MJ, but he came in the year after. He pulled off a crazy trade to move up to number five in the draft uh, after Seattle drafted Pippen at number five that year. Um, he was able to get Scotty. Um, you know, he brought in all these guys. Um, he brought in Phil. He's the one who hired Phil as an assistant coach uh, on the Bulls before Phil took over as head coach. So he's the guy who put the pieces in place. So he deserves credit for that. 
But if you weren't jealous, you had the ability to see a team that maybe stays together after that 98 season. I mean, just think about how awesome it would have been to see them play the the Duncan and, and David Robinson Twin Towers in the 99 finals, or if they were still good enough, like the 2000 uh, Lakers, Shaq and Kobe, they could have matched up against. Pippen went on to play six more years after that season. Dennis Rodman went on to play more years with that. Michael Jordan was still effective in, you know, 2001, 2002 when he was with the Wizards. Like, that team still could have been pretty deadly and made finals runs and championship runs, and it would have been awesome had this guy's ego not gotten into play to see what they could have really done and how many more championships they could have won. So we can get there. We'll get there probably in, you know, a few weeks. But we saw the animosity building earlier. So it started actually very young when it seemed like Michael wanted to compete for a winning organization, wanted to build that brand, and he honestly felt like he was being held back earlier. Whether it was a what was it? What was the term that they used for the uh, the Bulls, the Coke, the Coke team? Like, what, oh what? yeah. So his rookie year, he walks in. I'll tell the story quick. If if anybody who's listening to this hasn't seen the documentary yet, um, spoiler alert, right? Uh, so uh, he walks in the hotel room on one of the road trips, and literally the whole team is in there. Um, and he goes in there on one side of the room, they're blowing lines, one side of the room, they're smoking weed, another side of the room, they got girls there, uh, dancing and then they're like, Hey, you know, you want to join in? And Michael at that moment said, no, I'm out of here. Like I'm going, like, if he gets caught here, he's obviously going to be an accomplice and he's going to get in trouble. So he just left. But that team, it just goes to show you like the Chicago Bulls at that time, uh, they weren't a, a good franchise. They weren't a proud franchise. I believe in the old Chicago stadium, they were, it said they were getting outsold as far as ticket sales by an indoor soccer team. Um, nobody really cared about the Chicago Bulls. So Michael Jordan went in there and changed the culture. That first year, it's like I, like I was telling you earlier, Steve, he took a bunch of crackheads to the, the playoffs, like a bunch of cokeheads to the playoffs. Like that's like a feat in itself in my eyes. And like has a, LeBron James ever done that? And that's a true. You know what I mean? And that's a true. Well, we, I mean <laughs> – I mean, we could look at an early Cavaliers roster. I mean, he wasn't really playing with much. So, I mean, Larry Hughes. I mean, I would put it probably, probably Larry Hughes. Larry Hughes was probably doing something. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean. So, Ruby Gibson? Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, saying. They, you know, if we broke that we broke out that roster, I'm, I'm sure there was some players on that Cavaliers team. But, oh, yeah, there's some. But, I mean, <laughs> at, I mean, Michael clearly saw that he wanted to be, you know, he wanted to build up a tradition like the Lakers like the Celtics at the time. And that just wasn't there in Chicago. They, they made the playoffs as like what 22 games under 500 or a 30 win team. It was something really bad. Yeah. The first year they were below 500 in the second year. Um, when they came in the year, he got hurt, uh, which I think you're alluding to. Um, they won, they made the playoffs winning only 30 games. Yeah. And that year, 12 teams made the playoffs or 16 teams out of 23 made the playoffs. There's only 23 teams in the league at that time. And that was the year that he hurt himself. And he yeah, went he out. He missed like sixty-five games, I think. He went out. He went back to North Carolina. He rehabbed on his own. He actually was told not to play. He ended up playing scrimmages. He came back, and they were like, "You have a lot of strength in your calf. That looks kind of unusual. Like, what have you been doing?" And that's when he finally came. Was like, "I've been playing." They obviously weren't happy about that. Um, but they basically gave him the idea, saying, "Like, listen, like you're ninety percent good, but ten percent." You could hurt yourself and possibly end your career. So they were very like, and I can definitely understand where they're coming from. That that's a franchise that's not going nowhere. But I mean, obviously, we know what Michael Jordan became. Obviously, his mentality was the reason why he became who he was. He's thinking the way we always knew Michael Jordan would have to think to be the greatest of all time. 
at that time, though, he's a 22, 22, three-year-old knucklehead. That's how everyone perceived him. He wants to play basketball, you know, and, and just to kind of shy away, like, and, and talk about now, it kind of made me think about like what basketball players are doing now. And I heard an interesting interview with Jason Tatum and you would think that these guys would be going bananas, not being able to play physical contact basketball with one another. But you would still think, though, that they were still getting shots up, you know, still dribbling a basketball, still doing whatever they needed to do to make sure that they were getting themselves somewhat ready if there was a season getting re- uh, to get going. And he said point blank. He's like, I've been conditioning, but I have not touched a basketball since February. And you kind of laughed it off and said, there's no way that this guy possibly hasn't touched a basketball. But I believed him because you could just hear it in his voice. Like, you know, he doesn't feel like there's a need to. And, you know, and and I just couldn't think to myself, like, all right, I'm evaluating Jason Tatum as what I believe is a top eight basketball player in the world right now. Or he was definitely trending that way. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was coming off arguably his best month of basketball as a professional in his mm-hmm. life. And and I'm trying to think of it in the terms of Michael Jordan, who had a broken foot, and you couldn't keep him off of a basketball court. And and they were telling him you can't be on the basketball court. So, you know, I'm thinking that the mentality is a lot different. So Michael Jordan wants to play basketball. They're saying he's not. He's not able to. He comes back, and then they kind of go back and forth. They want to shut him down. He doesn't want to get shut down. And then they work out this garbage minutes restriction where they only allow him to play seven minutes a half, which makes zero sense because if we know anything about minutes restrictions is you're supposed to like start it low, but it's supposed to build towards something. It's supposed to creep up a little bit. But they were just like trying to make some sort of dumbass compromise where they were like, all right, we'll give you seven minutes a half. And, 14 minutes is a joke. Like, what, and, what is that? And I would love to see the amount of shots he put up in those seven minutes each half. I mean, I didn't go back and look at any of those stats, but from what we were seeing in the doc, like he was doing some serious work in those 14 minutes because, yeah. I mean, he only had 14 minutes to play. So, and what and what happened was too is like so he goes in and and he tells them and, and they're questioning him about playing like you said back in North Carolina and and one of the his you know one of the better quotes that that he had and and this is going to be a, a doc many full of great Michael Jordan quotes, but one of the great quotes he has, he goes, oh, Jerry, you didn't read my contract? He said, my contract has the uh, love of the game clause in it, which means I get to play anywhere I want, anytime I want. There's nothing you guys can do about it. <laughs> and that's just his competitive edge. Like you said, you see players nowadays, even the, the great players, like who are, people who are ascending to be great, like we think about Jason Tatum, who um, you think he would actually be getting shots up because the season could resume anything. within the next few months. Like anything, anything right? Get out like, there and shoot some free throws or do some anything, like play horse like, or something. Tell, like anything. <laughs> tell me you're running around the street, like up and down the street with a basketball in And obviously we – just we, dribble it or something. I mean, we, we have to go outside. We watched, the house. Yeah, we watched a pathetic horse competition, right? And obviously – Obviously, the guy that makes max money, Mike Connolly, has the indoor court. He obviously won that stupid ass comp, uh, contest, and I get it. Like you know, there's only a select number of players that can put a court in their house, but you can't tell me that you and I weren't getting shots up in December outside in New we England. We were playing. We were playing in New England in December, twenty degree weather, hats, gloves on. We had ba- driveway battles. We had battles in the driveway, no matter what the conditions were. Yeah, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that like you should be forced to go out and do it. I'm just saying that like if if, if basketball is my life and my love and my passion, like 
I just would feel in your, like, in your job. Ex- <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but that's besides the point. Like I just would feel like a guy like that would need to be able to get out and do something that involves his trait every day. And thinking about not being able to go outside and shoot a basket outside right now, just because it's raining a little bit. I don't know. I didn't like to hear that, Mark. That that kind of bothered me a little bit. You know, I mean, yeah, it's I, agree, just, I agree with that. I hundred percent agree with that. You know, and then you watch this doc, and you're like, this guy wanted to play with a broken foot. Like he didn't care. Like get out there. You know, and obviously as a knucklehead, as a 23 year old, you're like, yeah, that guy doesn't know any better. But I'd rather have a guy that's driven for greatness than somebody that's willing just to kind of be like, eh, you know, is what it is. Well, like we said, we're comparing, I mean, we're comparing Jason Taylor to Michael Jordan and knowing now what we know about Michael Jordan, he's just built differently. Like he doesn't, there's very few players that have that same competitive edge and that competitive drive. I'd say the closest. um, You've gotten more shots. You've gotten more shots up than fucking Jason Tatum in the last month. Oh yeah. That's, I mean, that's. Harry's Dude, got I'll, Harry's gotten more shots up than Jason Tatum <laughs> in the last month. Listen, me and Harrison, me and my son Harrison, we play every day. Every day we shoot baskets, whether it's inside, outside, whatever. We we get out and we try to do it. Um, you know, but it's just that you know, it's me trying to instill in him. You know, you got to practice all the time. Like, and I even I don't force him to do it. I ask him. You know, hey, do you want to play basketball? Do you want to like do it? He's like, yeah, I love it. And that's for the love of the game. You know what I mean? He wants to shoot hoops every day. You know, and like I was, I was saying, the only pr- other person that I think had that competitive drive and was out there like doing that was, you know, the late Kobe Bryant, um, who, it's, in my eyes, and I'm sure they'll get to this maybe in the documentary a little bit and things like that. But he emulated Jordan as as close to anybody that I can I can think of. Um, but kind of getting back to Michael, especially on that minutes restriction that we were on, you know, he had that 14 minutes uh, restrictions, and he ended up talking to his coach and he said, "Hey, if you're gonna play me 14 minutes." He's like, make sure you play me the most important 14 minutes of the game. Um, so in the 14 minutes he played in those in those clutch moments, he was playing and he was shooting and he was lights out. Guy was making all the shots. Um, and this was in that final game, you know, trying to make the playoffs. And this was what kind of soured him uh, with Jerry Krause early on is because they were trying to – whatever they were trying to tank for, you know, a draft pick. And, and they were, like you said, like you had mentioned earlier, they were going to get – a you know, a, a higher lottery pick anyways. Um, so what are you really taking for? You're not getting a one pick or the two pick. Um, so they were trying to tank and Michael vowed to make the playoffs every year when he came in as a rookie. And all he thought, all he knew was winning. He wasn't about tanking. He wanted to win every game, no matter what. Um, so in that final game, the coach actually was told, if you play him any more than 14 minutes, even if it's one second, we're going to fire you on the spot. So 14 minutes comes around. They pull Michael with a few minutes left. Um, actually, it was 20 seconds left. Uh, and he said, Hey, Michael, I can't play you. I said, I'll lose my job, you know, and thank God for John Paxson because John Paxson goes in there and they'll get to his shot. You know, he saved the Bulls, you know, in the finals in 93. They'll get to that later in the documentary. But John Paxson hits a shot to send him into the playoffs. Uh, and had he not hit that shot, you know, we don't get Michael Jordan against the 86 Celtics. And that's really where the legend grows is where he goes into the garden and he not only puts up 49 in game one, even in a 19 point defeat, but he takes that team. I think they went to double overtime in the second. In the second game, yeah, the game he had sixty three. They went in a double overtime. He went to sixty three, and I, I think uh, Larry and Magic said it best at that point. Like you know, they knew that he was the best basketball player in the world at that point. He just did not have the the intangible pieces around him to be successful. Um, Larry Bird said it best. He said that was God to disguise as Michael Jordan. Absolutely, you know, and I think that so far. Everything that we've seen has definitely lived up to what I thought was 
it was going to be, and I know it's going to get better. And I, and I definitely want to dive into the Scotty Pippen aspect of it because Scotty was definitely introduced into it. Um, yeah, we got to get to Scotty, man. A lot of, a lot of, like, I thought I knew a lot about Scotty Pippen, and and shit came out that like I had, I had no idea, and it, and it really made me feel for the guy, to be honest with you. So Scotty came up as basically very poor, and a big family, a family of twelve, big family, yep, and. Unfortunately, I think he was 11 or 12. And I, I think he says it best. And I, and most people will tell you um, that are poor growing up is they don't know they're poor, you know, because it's just the way it is like that. They're growing up a certain way. Like he said, my shoes were always dirty. You know, that's just what it was, you know, but he always had food on the table, you know, and, and that's the way it goes. But he, he watched his father have a stroke and that put him in, confined him to a wheelchair. And then he watched his brother become paralyzed in a, a wrestling match. So now he's got two family members that are paralyzed and he found, he found basketball as an avenue to be able to get away. And cause he didn't need anybody else to be able to play with him. He could just go out and just shoot around and do his thing. Went to central Arkansas and actually wasn't even recruited was a equipment manager. And thanks to the good fortune of, a couple, I think it was a couple players failing off or leaving the team. Um, they allowed him to practice with the team. He actually was a couple scholarships freed up, and he was able to get one of those scholarships. And I think he went. Um, they gave him. He was like 150 pounds, six one, and he was decent. They actually said he was a decent player. And then he went away from one summer, lifted weights, and they said he grew four inches. Mm-hmm. Came yep. back the next season, grew another two inches. So now he's six seven by his junior year, and uh, and then he was really putting on. And next thing you know, he's the fifth pick in the draft, like you had said, and uh, he's on the Chicago Bulls. Um, ends up being yeah. Michael Jordan, I, I, and I, I, they were rattling off the lifetime stats of uh, of Scottie Pippen. So he was what Mark second in scoring, second on the in- Bulls on the Bulls team. Yeah, he yeah. was second in a ton of categories. He was first in a few. He was first in steals. Um, uh, first in, uh, I think it was field goal percentage, maybe, um, uh, second in, in like, uh, points, uh, rebounds, assists. Um, actually he might've been first in assists as well. Yeah. I mean, he was, um, and he was, points and, re- and was second, you know, and Jordan was the other guy who was obviously number one. Um, so I'm going to give you my opinion on Scotty really quick, but I just want to get your, your take on one thing. Cause we were talking about that 60, uh, that 63 point game against the Celtics. I know you're probably sure that, and I had to bring this up cause we were on it. And I don't think it, it would be a good episode if we didn't bring this up. But in between game one, when Jordan scored 40, 49 points, it was either 45 or 49 in game one. I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name scam was masterfully designed new episodes available now subscribe to the perfect scam podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you know as different as everything seems this holiday season one thing still holds true year after year everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the ohio lottery and with tickets available from one to twenty dollars they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older so stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift giving give scratch-offs from the ohio lottery 
Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Um, he played a round of golf with Danny Ainge before game two, before the game he scored 63. Danny Ainge kicked his ass. Danny Ainge really took a lot of money off of him that game. But after the game, they're in the car, and he gives Danny Ainge a pat on the butt, and he says, hey, tell your boy DJ I got something for him tomorrow night. Yeah. And that's alluding to Dennis Johnson, who was the Celtics' best defender at the time. R.I.P. And he – and he goes, yeah, <laughs> yes, rest in peace, Dennis Johnson. And he goes out and he drops 63 on him. Like, how savage of a move is that when you're just calling out that guys? And there's a bunch of stories, and they'll, they'll get to it. Dominique had one where he went into the locker room and he told the dude that was gone, well, hey, make sure you lace up. It's going to be a long night, and goes out and drops 60 on him. Well, the funniest part of that clip, if you're going to bring it up, um, was that DJ got into foul trouble. I think he had four falls, and they were throwing everyone at him. And. They threw Ainge at him. Ainge was getting destroyed. And then they kept doing switches where Walton kept getting put on him. And Walton was freaking out on Ainge because he kept getting <laughs> the switches. And, and Michael just kept humiliating him and he kept throwing bad falls on him. And it was just, and, and you see, in the, they showed Danny and he's just laughing. And he's yeah. like, I was laughing so hard because Walton was just yelling at me all game because of these terrible switches that were going on. And yeah, I mean, back, and that, that's what Michael was. But I mean, yeah, that was a great story. But <laughs> I had to bring that up before I got into Scotty. But back to Scotty, man. Like uh, everything that you had mentioned, he comes in in '87. He, he's brought in to be Michael Jordan's sidekick. He flew up draft boards out of, out of Central Arkansas. Um, he comes in and they they do good. They make the playoffs and make a run, and and they can't get by uh, the Celtics um, in '87. They get knocked out by the Celtics. They get swept again by the Celtics. Um, and then they end up – that's when they started getting – and they haven't mentioned this into in, in the documentary yet, but they'll get to it. But after that came the Pistons years where they couldn't get by the Pistons. Oh, and those are going to be really um, good ones. Which will be very good. It will be – those are going to be one of the best episodes, you know, oh. the Jordan rules and everything like that. Yeah, but like um, you said, they like they, they played on – like you said, they felt bad for Scotty. And the whole thing, like what I was going into, like Scotty's home life was – so Scotty got roped into – well, he didn't get roped into it. Um, he got – put on a table a seven-year, $18 million contract. And the $18 million was guaranteed back in 1991. And I believe it was Reinsdorf that said, that's a really lengthy contract. Like you're really selling yourself short if you sign a contract that long. But from even guy- his agent, even his agent, I found this out today too, because everybody was knocking his agent. So I looked into it. Even his agent was telling him, hey man, that you shouldn't take the deal. This is the summer of 1991. They had just won their first championship. And And I listened to an interview with Kendrick Perkins the other day and he said, contracts are about timing we can look at uh, contract signings through all of history we can look at evan turner signing a contract four or five years ago for a hundred million dollars and we know evan turner is not worth a hundred million dollars like it's just what it is but at that time scotty pippen from poverty with with an ailing father with a ailing brother with a huge family that was relying on money like 18 million dollars handed to him right up front was a lot of money so for him at that time like i can understand as a young man being like that's going to help out and i can't really you know think that in a couple of years like things might change but like they said i think they if he had just held on for a couple of years like he probably would have six times that amount of money in 1994 but i don't think the 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 contracts really hit that high yet in the nba but i think when we looked at it in a couple of years he was like the second best player on the bulls but he was getting paid the sixth amount six most money is that right mark yeah so he's gonna pay the sixth most money on the uh the team and um 
122nd most uh, in salary in the entire NBA. And at this point, uh, this is Scottie Pippen, and throughout those you know those championship runs, he elevated himself. He's a top 50 player. Um, he's uh, in my eyes top five at that time was a top five player in the league. Um, he showed that when Jordan went on his little baseball hiatus, he was he kept the Bulls competitive. He he kept them in the playoff hunt. Um, he was playing really really well. Um, so he deserved obviously more than that, and they never. Uh, not once did they come to Scotty and try to renegotiate. Like as ownership, I mean, I, I guess they were just trying to save money for the team. But not once did they say, "Hey, man, you're outplaying your contract, man. Let's negotiate this." Or Scotty didn't. I don't. I don't know if Scotty went to them and tried to renegotiate and they turned him down. But I know the team never reached out to him for renegotiation. And kind of a a, a crazy uh, stat or fact, uh, if you want to call it that, is uh, um, in his Chicago Bulls career, he made twenty four million dollars from eighty seven to ninety eight. The next six uh, six seasons after that, with uh, the Rockets and the Trailblazers, uh, he made seventy seven million. Yeah, so, so he eventually put, put it into perspective. The guy could have made so much more money, but he but he made he made his due eventually. But when it came down to it, I think that what the doc is showing us, and I think that the, they're going to continue to portray it is they're going to keep doing these flashbacks, and then they're going to show you how things that happened in the past affected that 97-98 season. So when Scotty had that that ordeal back in the day, you're now seeing six, seven years what that reaction was from that point forward. It was to that point where he was hurt in the Eastern Conference Finals the year prior with a tendon injury, and he could have had off-season surgery to fix that and be able to come back ready for the last season. And he turned around with the all-time quote, and he said, I'm not going to have surgery. I'm not going to fuck up my summer, quote unquote, <laughs> yeah. just so he could say, I'm going to go enjoy my summer and then I'm going to turn around. And if they're not going to pay me money and I know that this is going to be my last season, why am I going to give him my all risk more injury for $2.1 million? That doesn't really make much sense. I'll come back. I'll miss the first two, three months of the season and I'll be able to go from there. Now, from a team aspect and from a Jordan aspect, obviously you want your teammate there and we can definitely understand that and jordan was pissed he was heated he even said i mean he came out and he even said man at that point scotty was being so, uh, selfish you of know, course thinking about, about the team and he thought like you know hey you signed the contract play out your contract you know you could have got season, surgery after the season but ready to go to you knew it was one final run and with the relationship that they had he, i think he kind of felt betrayed a little bit that he didn't try his best to get back to to go for this championship run early on I think it's just like many the way many organizations are working this day. And I mean, I kind of like as a Patriots fan, like I feel like I'm going to see this documentary in like 20 years with the Patriots and we're going to see like the Super Bowl against the Rams. And we're going to see that there was actually so much turmoil going on in that season, even though I know that there was definitely rumblings. And then we're going to see what the aftermath was. Gronk retiring, and then as of today, unretiring to go join Tom in Tampa. You know, and all this bullshit that you know at the time when you're like that doesn't really make much sense. And then and now today, I'm thinking to myself, well, you can claim that your body wasn't in great shape, but man, like you got back really quick when when the organizations flipped and everything else has moved on. So obviously, you know. Things look great when you're winning from the outside, but winning takes a toll after a while. And when you're playing the amount of games that these guys play a year, because playoffs take a lot longer of a season than just the regular season, and then you're dealing with the media circus, 
And then you're dealing with all the politics that go around with the contracts. And we're seeing now with the GM who gets more credit than who and the blah, 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 and all that bullshit. Like all of that outside noise really comes to a head. And knowing that they win the championship already and knowing where this is actually trending, it just goes to show you how impressive this team really was to be able to actually overcome not only being the team that everyone circled on their schedule is being like, all right, the bulls are up. We're going after the bulls now. Like they're the best. I mean, David Stern called them the team of the generation. Like they were the best team in all of sports. Like they were, like you said, like like you said, winning like takes a toll on you too. And it's like, uh, um, they were, um, winning they won six out of eight years six championships in eight years i think that's unheard of that's you know that's you know bill russell celtics still type things when they were winning you know 11 12 championships in a row um that's just you know one of the things that you'll say like like you said mentioned the patriots it's one of the things that we think we'll probably never see again is that type of run no. um and it's it's crazy one of the the craziest things i think is like how quickly they got back into the winner circle you know once jordan came back you know he came back you know in in 95 and played 17 games and they lose to the Magic with Shaq and Penny, who go on to the finals um, and lose to the Rockets in the finals. And then that very next year, when you give Michael Jordan a full season with his team, they play the Magic again and they sweep him in the playoffs. Like nothing ever happened. You know, it just goes to show you when you had this that, that team together, when they were together playing a full season, when Michael Jordan was in his prime at the top of his peak uh, with all those other great role players, um, you know, they were literally unbeatable. It was it was very, very tough to beat those guys. Um, speaking of role players, so I wanted to kind of bring up, you know, we were on Kraus earlier and some of the things that he did to kind of split up this team. Uh, one of the things he did, and I don't know if you remember this, but he brought in Tony Kukoc the year after Jordan retired the first time in, in the 94 season. And if you remember Tony Kukoc on the Dream Team, he was the uh, top player for Croatia. Um, he got a lot of... Uh, a lot, of, a lot of media surrounding him saying, you know, he's the best international player and stuff like that. So when they played, that dream team played Croatia, uh, Jordan and Pippen each took turns guarding him. And they held him to less than 10 points. They absolutely dominated him. He couldn't even get the ball over half court. They were, they were stealing the ball from him, laying it in on the other end. They absolutely despised Tony Kukos. They hated him. And that's the guy Jerry Krause brings in that he wanted to uh, eventually hand the key, keys over to him and have that be his franchise because Jordan wasn't there anymore. And then, you know, Jordan comes back. You're not going to say no to Michael Jordan coming back, obviously. And and, and Kukoc had actually helped him out too because it ended up he ended up being a huge part of those last three uh, championships. Uh, but that's just another thing that Cross tried to do to kind of get under the skin of his, his star players and his star coach. The the best part about watching this doc and watching this era of basketball is we're not watching this bullshit of 135 to 132 we're actually watching these games where they were played in the like the low hundreds 90s like tough defensive games and it started with the defense and scotty pippen was one of the best defenders maybe in nba history and i was listening to an interview today with reggie miller and they asked him point blank like who who did you rather have on you, Michael or Scotty? And he said, I'd rather have Michael on me because I always was moving without the ball. And when I was moving without the ball, Michael would cheat. Michael would try to like cut back through screens and he wouldn't fight through him. And Scotty always played it perfectly. He always played it the, the angles right, did exactly what he did. But in that series, they threw Scotty on Mark Jackson. And they said that 
throwing Scotty on the point guard always was the best thing because Scotty would take them full court and they would take 14 seconds off the shot clock before they even be able to establish an offensive set because Scotty would be harassing the ball at all times. So that's kind of like where the dynamic was. Like the Chicago Bulls were all world offensively, but they were so much more defensively too. And that added on with Dennis Rodman and everything they brought. And that's why like to this day, like, and I think people will get a lot more from this doc, not only from the mentality of what Michael Jordan brought from an everyday perspective in practice and into a game, but how well-rounded and cohesive the team really was. Like they just brought it on both ends of the court. They were definitely what you aspire a perfect basketball team to be at all times. And they loved the target on their backs. They loved it. Yeah. And I, and I do want to state this too. And a lot of people probably know this from watching that team, like outside of like, outside of uh, Jordan Pippen Rodman, who Pippen, I think, in my opinion, I think he's the second greatest small forward that's ever played, you know, outside of LeBron James. Uh, but that's just that's just my opinion. But outside of those three guys, and then maybe they get Tony Kukoc off the bench. But if you look at the list of guys on that team, like they weren't that great, like individually. You know what I mean? Like you had uh, the Steve Kerr's, uh, the Scott Burrell, like these names you're not even going to remember, like the Scott Burrells, the Dickie Simpkins, Judd Bushler, Bill Wennington. Um, all these guys that, you know, are, are these guys that individually, um, they're not, you know, very well played. None of them made an all-star team. The only other all-star Michael Jordan ever played with, um, was Scotty Pippen. You know, none of these guys made an all-star team, but they just knew how to play together. They knew how to feed off of Michael and Scotty and they knew how to gel. And that's just, that's what made them so good. I mean, and not to mention they had the best bas- one of the best basketball coaches of all time. I mean, and- that helps. Run the triangle, one of the best you know, offensive systems I mean, ever. You know what I mean? So, but and all in all, I mean, the doc has definitely lived up to the hype in the first two episodes. I mean, I don't think there's really much else to, to really to get into it. I mean, I don't know what you're nah. looking at to like going forward. I mean, the thing about us being sports fans is we know what the playoff series is until like we know the Pistons are coming up and we know all these things are going to happen and we know that they're going to keep flashing forward to to show yeah. like the inner workings. And not to mention, I didn't know that Adam Silver was actually the one that was involved in filming everything back in 1998. Did you know that? I did. Oh, he's part of the crew, the camera crew, or whatever. Or part yeah, of like he was, he, he was in charge of it. Like he was like in certain, in, in like, I, like obviously he wasn't in the stature he is today, or he wasn't like under David Stern at that point. But he was like in some cabinet position that allowed him to be able to approach Michael and say, "Hey, I want to do this." And the worst case scenario, you'll have fifty hours of the best home video that you've ever had in your whole entire life that you can just keep for your own keepsake. So. Yeah, I mean, you're just yeah, watching. That's you're, awesome. You watching like Michael Jordan? Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, you're watching Michael. You're watching Michael Jordan. Like, like, and it's just cool because now it gives us something to look forward to. Like, we're in a world, we're in a time where there's no sports at all, so it just now it gives us something to look forward to every week. It's kind of like back, you know, like when the Game of Thrones, you know, series for the Game of Thrones fans, when we were all waiting every week. You watch that one episode, you know. Now for the next five weeks, we get two episodes, and then, like you said, it's just something to to look forward to uh, for us sports fans, and and we know the story you know, most of it, but we don't know. I'm sure we're going to learn like a lot of like inside things like Dennis Rodman. I saw the preview for this next one. Like they're going to go to the Dennis Rodman character arc. Now, you know, we saw Jordan, we saw Pippen in episodes one and two. Now they're going to bring in Dennis Rodman. And I really love what they did as far as like 
not showing just the 97-98 season, like game one to game 82 and through the playoffs. And you know, everybody knows Jordan hit the shot to win the game and to win the championship. But I love how they're taking it back to each player and how each player evolved over the time over their time with the Bulls and what eventually led to that 97-98 season. I think that's what's going to make this documentary probably one of the greatest documentaries that's ever been made. I mean, the music has been fantastic. Like this old school, like <laughs> late 80s, 90s rap, like with, with the yeah. mixtapes, like oh, yeah. it's been fantastic. Fantastic. The, the people that they've been interviewing, like uh, like it's always good to see David Aldridge. It's always good to see Michael Wilbon. They, they had Bill Clinton in talking about when he was the Arkansas governor, how he went and saw Scottie Pippen when he was at Central Arkansas. Like, that's a guy that you never thought yeah. they would approach for that. Obama but, was in there saying he couldn't I mean, I knew Obama was Bulls game. Yeah, I mean. He's a Chicago guy, but he couldn't afford tickets to a Bulls game, even the cheap seats. So it's cool to see these guys talking about what Chicago was like and how it was during that time and during that era because it really was different. And that was, that was the team, like you had mentioned earlier, David Stern said – this is the team of the 90s. They're a generational team. Everybody around the world knew who they were. The Bulls all over the place were, you know, Michael Jordan was an international icon, obviously. They showed that trip to Paris that we didn't even mention, but, you know, the beginning of the season for a preseason game and everybody's just going off. One of the guys, the camera guys, he's going on a TV show, and one of the camera guys in French asks him for his autograph. And the other guy walks up to him and says, no, no, don't ask him for his autograph. And then he's playing the team, and one of the players, like a little kid, goes up to him and says, hey, Michael, can I have your wristband? And Michael just gives it to him and, like, pats him on the head, like, okay, little guy, you can have my wristband. That wasn't a little kid. That was actually a <laughs> I know it wasn't a little I, I know it wasn't a little kid, but that's what I'm saying. The, guy, the guys are so, like, in awe of Michael Jordan, these international players, that they're like little kids seeing him for the first yeah. time, like, oh, my God, it's Michael. They like, won, give me something. They won a trophy for that tournament. I don't even know what that was. They, the best part is they win the trophy and they go back in the locker room and Jordan goes, don't show that trophy to Kraus. Yeah. <laughs> One of the guys was like celebrating on the bench. He's like, can you give me a hug? I've never won a championship. Dude, before. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's Scott Burrell. So Ron Hopper, <laughs> he's like, he's like, congratulations on your first championship. And he's like, Oh, Michael, you're not going to give me a hug on my first championship. And Michael just has like this absolute disgusting look on his face. Like, oh, this is obviously not what we're here to work for and everything like kind that. Of like what Bill Belichick looks like when they hand him the AFC championship. Like, he just like looks at it and he just. Oh, yeah, him. we just need Super Bowls. That's it, it looks like he's somebody hands him like a bag of shit. Like, he fucking looks at it really quick and he just tosses it somewhere else. Like, he's like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> But yeah, dude, yeah. Like, I just kind of feel like I'm seeing a documentary like 20 years down the line where like this is all going to be like a New England Patriots thing. But like you said, man, like we're we're in a shitty situation with the world and to have any sort of material to talk about anything at this point is nice because talking about when everything is going to restart again and, and how is it going to restart again is so regurgitated and no one really knows and we're at the mercy of something that none of us has ever dealt with before and rather than think about the future let's just think about the little things that can put a smile on our face and kind of like take the attention away from everything else that's going away and i mean if it's for two hours a night on a sunday night i mean everybody else has got their bachelor that they can watch on those other weekends why can't we have our michael jordan doc you know, so yeah, exactly. exactly I can't we have our last dance stock. So we'll take that and, you know, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to gain a little bit more material out of it. But other than that, though, I mean, do you do you have anything else to add? Anything else going no, on? Man, that was, we basically we basically covered that documentary, man. That's 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 good. I know me and you are both looking forward to um, episode three and episode four Sunday night as well as everybody else. Um, 
I mean, let's go to wrap it up for this episode. No, no, after, no, after, no after show. No after show. Oh no, there's an after show, but I'm just gonna uh, I'm gonna do that after and put that in here. Okay. Yeah, because it's easier that way. Well, I didn't. I didn't know if you did. Like, all right. Well, I mean, this is all brand new, so I don't know how that like works. I don't know if we we just like. Yeah. You're talking. Off. You're talking about like the send off. Like, hey, follow Twitter. That this this blah blah. No, blah. No, no. I just was like, you know, like I mean, I figured like we might as well just make it a full hour at this point. So I didn't know if there was like you know like. Oh, you want to just roll on? You just want to rattle off eight minutes? We're at fifty two fifty three right now. I mean, I didn't know if there was like anything else going on that was like interesting in your uh, life. Like a- in my life, in the world, uh, like the, fa- the fans, the fans like tune in to like listen to you talk about hoops, and that's cool and all. But at some point, like you got to like open it up a little bit and let them know who the real you are. You know, oh, dude, real me, father, three kids, working. Fuck, I work at Lexus. It sucks right now. I'm still working during this thing, the pandemic. I'm by myself. We- Laid off a bunch of people and working by myself, dealing with people. I'm dealing with the public every day, not getting paid any extra for it. So it kind of sucks. Um, so we're out there on the front line. You as well. I know you are too, delivering that mail. Uh, so, so, I mean, I got my kids though. I mean, times are tough for everybody. But honestly, for me, I mean, the only thing is, I mean, I can't go out to places. But for me, it's really not that bad. I still get to come home, see my kids. We still do things with them and stuff like that still get to do this podcast, which is awesome. So it helps pass the time and it still allows me to, to get things done. So for me personally, um, it's, it's really not too, too bad. I'm trying I'm finding ways to, to pass the time. Well, I think that's the most important thing. I think as the days go on, I think you get a little more adjusted to, to the life as the new norm. And I know I don't want to say that, but I mean, if you're searching for, a resolution every day like you're just going to be sadly disappointed at this point so rather than that like you know let's just kind of like continue to be better find new better habits i think i've definitely been way more cleanly you know oh yeah for sure you even realize like you you wash your hands obviously and stuff like that but like you also realize how many times you don't wash your hands you know what I'm saying? Like well, I'm you're a- supposed to wash your hands right, all all the time, and like even sanitize stuff like that. Like, and now you're just sanitizing after you touch anything. You know what I mean? Before it used to be like if you go to the bathroom, you wash your hands, whatever. If you get your hands dirty, you wash them. But now you just touch a desk or something, like maybe you're sanitizing your hands. So I've never had my guard up so much in my life. I go into the office. I know who the nose pickers are. I know who the ass pickers <laughs> are. I know you're who- just watching everybody. I know who the <laughs> oh, you bet your ass I'm watching everybody. Like I know. I told, like, I told that motherfucker is going to get me sick. I am the, not touching that guy. The two things I've lived by is if everybody just treated themselves as contagious, we'd be better off for it. If everyone oh, yeah. treated, if everyone else treated everyone and like else like a pile of shit and stayed away from one another, we'd be better off for it too. I don't think there's anything wrong in saying that. I think that most people that we're seeing and we're going to see the numbers rise when they finally get around to be able to start just testing people who have been affected that had didn't even know that they were infected. Um, it's going to be a yeah, it's, it's going to be the new normal too, like what we're doing now and everything like that. You know, like you said, like being cleanlier and, and things like that. That's just going to be how it is now. Even when things get back to normal and things start slowly reopening and stuff like that, you're still going to be cautious of everything, even more cautious than you were before. Um, you know, you might not go to that, you know, who knows, you might not go to that basketball game right away, you know, in an arena because you're going to be next to, you know, 20,000 people. 
Uh, oh, you, you might be ner- you might be nervous your first time going once they reopen arenas to fans. You might be nervous your first time going because you just don't know with everything that's going on. Um, so it's definitely going to be something to get used to and a little different once everything gets back to normal. Episode two seems like such a lifetime ago. I predicted a Cinco de Mayo return. I'm now predicting a Cinco de Mayo return next year. Next season, yeah, exactly. I think in the last the latest that I heard on that was. Uh, potentially july or august sometime and then if they do do it and uh start in the new season the next year the 2020 2021 season around christmas time which i think you had mentioned that too on episode two yeah i mean like if they can continue if they could have figured out a way to start the season after christmas like that would be good for them i think but at this point i just think that you just gotta pack it in yeah but they won't do that because the nba cares about like they're true to their fans like they they might like it's going to save some teams money like the teams that aren't in the playoffs is going to save some player salaries and things like that so teams that aren't in the playoffs don't want to continue the season um the players honestly a lot of players that i heard interviews say they do want to keep playing they want to go for that championship obviously but the nba uh, caters to their fan they cater to their fans all the time yeah but you're not you're not catering into anybody because at the end of the day these people have families and all it's no, gonna true. do, all, all it's gonna do, is steamroll one locker room, and everything just immediately gets shut down again. Yeah, That's but it. it's gonna be done right. It's gonna be done right. Like get, get once they, you know, hopefully they come out with some quicker testing and just test teams before the game. But one of the players test positive. Yeah, but you have to keep everybody in one situated area. Like people have to be, people can't be able to move. You got to put them in North Dakota. And you got to put them in a radius like where <laughs> North, all thirty North Dakota. Yeah, you got to put them in somewhere like where like everything is brought to them, and they stay in one hotel or two hotels, and that's their life for a whole year or for a whole whatever. And not to mention, if you restart now, like you can't just hop into a season. Like you have to have a training camp, you have to have preseason games again. You have to have some sort of way because most of these guys were coming into coming into the uh, the peaks of their uh, the season. Like you're talking about going yeah. into March, like their conditioning was way up. And like we go back to Jason Tatum, we're talking about a guy who hasn't shot a basketball in over a month and a half. You know, so yeah. you have to think about all that. Like it's not like you can just say, "All right, we're going to start games again, and it's going to be in two weeks." Like that's just not going to work. So, in my all we know is the NBA has. You, you can bet that they have everything on the table. They're thinking of things that we're not even saying probably. So I don't think they're just going to make a quick announcement just to shut it down now because you don't have to. You can wait till July or August and say, all right, well, we're not going to do this season and just keep it open as long as possible because who knows what happens in two months. You just you just don't know. They could find crazy testing. They could just this whole thing. They could find a vaccine in two months. And I'm um, in a vaccine in two months. I, I know it's 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 hard to say, but I'm saying anything is is possible. It's all on the table. So I mean, we just, uh, we, just we're the one thing that we have is we have other countries that were hit before us. Now, whether we were late to the ball, but we're getting to see them reopen up first, and then we're getting to see them immediately shut down after reopening again. So yeah. that's alarming. And when you see how much chaos is going on throughout the country with people just not being able to stay indoors and do what they need to do, it's one of those things that like, yeah, the weather might get warmer, but we don't really know if that's going to like really stop the spread. And they already know 
they already know that there's going to be a surge once the fall comes around. So when it comes down to it and you think about that and you think about schools going back and all that's build back up again, like I just can't see something for the necessary future actually working. And if that doesn't work, then at the end of the day, like I know we want normalcy and I know we just want to see a game being played, but it's just, it's just such a, it's such uncharted territory. And I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but like, why not? Yeah, man, you're really fucking taking this podcast south. I'm not taking it south. I'm just being right realistic. Now. I'm just we were being all real. hyped, last dance, and now we're like coronavirus. Just, I think I think I'm just sad, but I'm also yeah. I'm also realistic to the point that like you know we have to think. Dude, about, you're the official co-host of Hoop Dreams, man. There's nothing to be sad about. These are good times. No, I know, but but my dream right now is for everyone just to be safe and to be normal and to take politics out of every decision and just to understand that. I hope everyone thinks that they can live for another year. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, I, I feel like yeah. everyone feels like they're going to die in like three months. So they better start seeing some shit now or go and do some stuff now where eh, I just don't understand that perspective. So I just, I, you know, I think. The, yeah, you're right. It's, it's be nice to see something positive. I mean, every time you look at something, whether it's the news or Twitter or the internet, like it's all negative shit. Yeah, it's you know what I mean. It'd be good to see some positive and look at something like, oh, two months left of coronavirus. Like, put a date on it. You know what I mean? And I told like, you, but like, obviously, I, that's impossible. But, I told you, know you like, I mean? the hardest part of of living on your phone in this day and age is like, for us, like, the first sites we go to are Twitter, ESPN, and guess what? There's nothing but bad stuff on Twitter and ESPN. And then you go to the news sites because, like, what else are you going to go on besides the news sites? And it's all that stuff. So I try to stay off it, and I stayed off it for as long as I could. And what did I do today, Mark? I said it to you right on the phone. I said the first thing I got on, I looked at it really quick. Gronk. Gronk coming out of retirement, going to Tampa Bay. And I said, this is why I don't look at my fucking phone anymore. Excuse my language, but I don't really excuse because I'm really upset about it. Oh, but, you can swear, man. This is I got the E next to this. This is explicit language on this I'm podcast. Saying, so like, swear you know, as much as you want, man. Some people just like to watch the world burn. And uh, I hear you, man. But one last thing, and I said I'd do it. Um, shout out to your cousin, uh, <laughs> yes. Leonardo. Shout um, out Reno. 75 pounds he's lost. And I don't want to put the number out there, but I'm going to put the number out there because I'm proud of I'm proud of him admitting the number. It's You're, better if you put the number out there because it shows how truly you know amazing it is and what a good job he's done. Our guy was at 408, and if you've ever met this guy, he's just one of the nicest human beings ever. He'll always help you out, and uh, he's our commissioner of our fantasy football league, which is something I'm definitely looking forward to. Hopefully, getting back, wait. and uh, definitely somebody I haven't talked to. But when I talked to him today, um, he said that. He told me about it, and I was more surprised that I hadn't heard about it. And he said he was down 75 pounds, and his goal is down to 250. But the most important thing was that he's adjusted to the eating habits and the way of life about it. And obviously, like to hear him say, like, I had two bites of chicken parm and I was full and him be okay with it was just kind of like a weird, weird thing to hear. Like, right. Like two chicken bites of mm-hmm. chicken parm. Like that would be more aggravating to me that I could not eat more chicken parm. I love chicken parm. Dude, chicken parm is my fucking favorite. You know, and I know Reno loves some chicken parm. So. Oh it, yeah. It's kind of. Blooded Italian. This dude yeah. bleeds chicken parm, man. But you know, to be able to take that, to make that decision, to be able to go get that surgery and to go think about his better future and, you know, and to be excited about what's happening with him and, and what he's going to accomplish in their future. I'm just, 
I thought that was a great, great thing to hear. It was definitely something that I was happy to. I'm happy that I called him to be able to even get that. I wasn't. I was it's little, more. It's a little inspirational, you know what I mean. It's good to see him taking control and making himself healthy again, and absolutely and doing the right things. And that's all we can do right now. Like I find myself, you know, taking tons of multivitamins every day, right? And like, that's yeah, right. I'm trying to boost the immune system to fight something off. But at the same time, like we should be doing this all the time. Oh yeah, for sure. So, all right, Mark. Alrighty, you ready to wrap this thing up? I am, Mark. Alrighty, man. All right, we got. Episode eight coming to an end here. Um, we'll be back uh, very soon um, with uh, another recap of episode three and episode four of Last Dance. Um, so stay tuned and be on the lookout for that. As always, everyone, thanks for listening. You can find the podcast on all your listening platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. You can find myself on Twitter and on Instagram at hoopdreams underscore mb and you can follow my co-host steve lewis on twitter at s lewis l-e-w-i-s five six five six make sure you give us a follow go like go subscribe to the podcast leave us a review we'd love to know how we're doing any feedback is very helpful for the show and it can just make uh future shows better guys so i really appreciate that Um, again thanks for listening and don't forget to always follow your hoop dreams kinds of bacon and all kinds of delicious say hello to donato's new bacon duo pizzas two pizzas each with two kinds of bacon try the new pepperoni bacon duo with pepperoni canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon and the chipotle bacon duo with canadian bacon and chipotle seasoned bacon now get two dollars off a large bacon duo or any large pizza use promo code two donato's every piece is important Whatever temperatures this winter brings, your friendly and knowledgeable Bryant dealer is ready to help. We have the right training and support and are backed by outstanding products from one of the industry's most trusted names, Bryant. Whether you need a quick fix or an entirely new heating system, we will do whatever it takes for your family's comfort. Find your local dealer at Bryant.com. Bryant, whatever it takes.